to week eight of the Music Appreciation Podcast here at OHVA. I, of course, am Daphne Check, one of four music teachers at OHVA. And again, as always, my faithful and trusty companion, Jeremy England. Mr. England, how are you? I'm very good today. Uh, and I didn't tell you this earlier, but uh, I burnt my nachos before I was going to podcast. So I was pretty bummed out about that. But other than that, it's been a very good day. <laughs> you know, I think, though, burning nachos is a reason to cancel class. I think, <laughs> I think so. Isn't, isn't that a state-sanctioned well, reason? I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm looking out for your students here. Wink to all of you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my students, uh, you're stuck because I didn't burn any nachos. Sorry. So you still have to come to class. But speaking of class, uh, we are in uh, week eight of our of our class. We are in week eight of our podcast. As always, we do invite you to share this with your friends. Um, if you want to make us happy at the end of the quarter, which is always a good idea, uh, share it with a friend. Give it to somebody else. Have somebody else listen to it. See what they think. And in that vein, if you are in one of our classes, we do want to remind you that this is the last week of quarter one. So uh, please be checking your grade books, uh, contacting us for help, um, because this is it. We've already made it through the first quarter. Can you believe that? Time has fly, flown by. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy to think about that. You know? I know. And then we're going to get into quarter two, and then it's really going to fly because we have all these school breaks. And then it's just like it's over, like the semester is over. So it's crazy. It's I feel like we just met at PD a couple weeks ago, but oh, well. Well, anyway, kids, make sure your homework's done, our, our normal plea, I guess. So anyway, so what are we talking about this week, Mr. England? What, what are we doing? What's we going on? We are talking about the Baroque time period. So the Baroque time period comes after the Renaissance, which came after the Middle Ages. So we're moving forward into our music history. What do you know about the Baroque period? Do you know anything I know about if- it? I know if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. <laughs> if we didn't, uh, sorry, if we, if didn't, we get... didn't make that joke. <laughs> yeah, we, we would we be. To. Yeah, we would be remiss in our musical duties. We really would be. We really would be. <laughs> so this time period is from 1600 to 1750. So this is one of the easier dates in music history to remember because it ends with the zero and it starts with the zero. Not very often do we get such wonderful and considerate time, you know, considerations when we are setting our time periods in history. So thank you, historians, and thank you, Bach, for dying in seventeen fifty, I guess, to to yeah. help us cut that time period off. <laughs> wow, you thank somebody for dying. Wow. Is it too That's soon? Rough. Is it too soon? I mean, <laughs> it's been a minute since Bach died, so we're going to just let that slide. <laughs> yeah. If I meet him in the afterlife, I'll apologize. Right. You have some coffee. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Talk to him about it. So this this is the shortest period we've talked about so far. If you go back and you listen to our uh, Middle Ages podcast episode, we talk about the the High Middle Ages specifically, which is a period of about 400 years, but the whole Middle Ages covers a thousand years. It's a, it's a pretty big time that the Middle Ages covers, and we only looked at a half hour's worth of material for a thousand years, right? So you can understand. Uh, then we have the Renaissance, which was about 200 years, so about the 1400s until the 1600s, uh, 200 years, so considerably shorter than the time period that came before that. 
Now we have this time period, the Baroque period, which is just 150 years. You know, it's crazy. Like, oh, it's just 150 years. That's like three or four generations of people probably. When you look at history, it's so short though, right? It's just kind of like, uh, and there's 150 years that passed by, gone. Right. Well, you you had mentioned in our show notes, you have a theory about this. and I think it's a very interesting theory. Would you mind sharing that? Yeah, I... I, I'm going to say it's a theory because I think I read it somewhere, but I don't remember where to cite it from. So uh, you can research this, I'm sure. But it's uh, I think this time period f- speeds up because uh, knowledge is being spread at a much quicker pace than it was before. So when we looked at the Renaissance period, the big invention of the Renaissance period was the printing press, right? The Gutenberg printing press where you were able to knock out books in no time. You could just print a page after a page after a page. So uh, you you could disseminate information very quickly before you had to handwrite everything. You know, like I even think about my educational journey. And I'm trying to think about like when I was in high school, uh, what I had to do for like my English classes and stuff for essays. And, and I can't remember, it's fuzzy. I think I used a computer for some stuff, but most of it I hand wrote. You know, like if I wanted to write a long essay, I could hand write it, which is considerably faster because we weren't looking for like beautiful calligraphy like they did back in the Middle Ages. And and I was educated enough to be able to write in cursive and in print, you know, relatively easy and the materials were cheap. But uh, like today, we teach in an online school where everything is submitted via the Internet. You know what I mean? Like you could just type it out, copy and paste stuff you want to cite and put it into a format and just ship it off to your teacher. So this expansive knowledge, this ease of knowledge and this ease of creation speeds up time because you can synthesize and you can gather and you can put things together at a much quicker rate. So, uh, you know, this is the article. I hope I can find it for the show notes. But the rate that the human knowledge uh, as a whole, as humanity, the rate of knowledge that we gather and that we can have access to, more importantly – uh, doubles like something crazy every it used to be like every thousand years and then like to 100 years and now we're at like soon it'll be every 12 hours that the information available to and the information that we know about everything is accessible and it doubles that rate doubles every 12 hours which is something fascinating That's incredible yeah. uh, well and i think you're on to something though i mean if you're going back if you were thinking back to when you were in high school i was kind of in the same boat where, you know, most of my things were handwritten, especially my English essays. We had to write a lot of short answer essays. Um, it wasn't really till college to, or, or at least late high school that I didn't start using word processing uh, software or hardware or anything like that. So, you know, I think this is a really good point about the printing press, you know, j- because just mass production in general, when we can get something mass produced, it gets to mass amounts of people faster. So, you know, I, I think, I think you're onto something here and it's astounding to think about it just now. I mean, like you said, we're in an online school Our students. All they got to do is Google. Google wasn't a thing (laughs) when we were back in our day, as I shake my fist and sit in my rocking chair back in our day, Google wasn't a thing at the time. And now look at how handy it is, you know? So it is like every 12 hours you're getting this refresh of knowledge almost less than because think about news outlets and stuff. All they got to do is push to social media for sure. And it's just done. So I, I think that this theory 
that you have or this article that you read, whatever, uh, you know, I think it's right. Yeah. Think about how inconsequential it is to share music to somebody right now. So like if you were back in those days, everything had to be handwritten. So one person had to create the music and handwrite it. And then somebody else, if they wanted it, had to copy it or get somebody else to copy it. And if you wanted to disseminate that, like everything was a a lot more treasured. And now for us, you know, it's let me just go make you a copy of that. Right. Or let me just print you Mm -hmm. off another copy of it. Um, and you should recycle and try to stay paperless as much as you can, you know, because that's the world we live in, and uh, we don't want to pollute our landfills and stuff. But it's pretty inconsequential to just make new stuff <laughs> for, as far yeah. as like, disseminating this information or music and stuff. So when that becomes cheaper and knowledge becomes cheaper, it's easier to learn that thing, and then it's easier to combine it with whatever you know and create something new. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. That's my theory as far as why these time periods get shorter. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see that really as we go forward. Yeah, for sure. This is These are going to keep getting a little shorter. They aren't going to be these giant, like the Middle Ages, thousand years things. It's not going to be like that as we move into other time periods that we're going to study in this semester. So let's talk about this time period, at least specifically, some some characteristics of the Baroque period. I want to start kind of overall, like some overall characteristics of the Baroque time period, because we don't exist in a vacuum. When music doesn't exist in a vacuum, uh, the, it's affected by the culture around it, and the culture around it affects the music. So what are some of the characteristics of the Baroque time period specifically? Well, we've got simple and ornate, right? We have this idea that the music is simple, but then we add ornamentation to it. And it's very funny that you put this example in our show notes. I meant to say this to you, Mr. England, because I said this exact quote in my class the other day, (laughs) this exact thing. So um, when we're talking about ornamentation, I always think of the word flashy or fabulous, you know, something kind of over the top. And so um, I use the example of the Christmas tree, which clearly Mr. England did too. Um, so let's pretend you get you get a Christmas tree, okay? You put it in your house. It's probably green. It's probably pine, some kind of thing with needles, right? Most people have that base tree who, you know, the you know, the, it's it's green, it's got needles. But then everybody decorates it a little different. Everybody might, you know, put on some bulbs. Maybe they'll put white lights. Maybe they'll put blue lights. Maybe they use the multicolored lights. Then what about a star or an angel on the top of the tree? Or maybe they uh, don't put anything on the top of the tree. Maybe they put garland or icicles on there. Or, uh, you know, they everybody uses something different to ornament the tree, to give it a little bit more livelihood. Well, it's pretty similar to Baroque music. We start with something simple, and then we decorate it and make it fabulous. It's 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 ornate once you have the baseline down. Yeah, that's good. I when I was thinking of this, actually, I didn't use it in class. It's so funny that you you picked that. I didn't use it until like uh, <laughs> I didn't think about it until after class. But growing up, I think of like our trees were pretty simple. We had uh, the garland, and then we had like our homemade ornaments and stuff. And uh, I had a family member that it was just it's a live tree, and it was covered in so much tinsel. It didn't matter if it was. 
their ornaments underneath or not because it was just silver, <laughs> you know? Yep, um, yep. My grandmother's tree in the early to mid-80s. <laughs> those are my first trees, as I remember as a child. Grandma always had the icicles. I still, to this day, always want to add some. And the rest of my family's like, girl, take a seat. Stop it. It's not <laughs> It's not 87 anymore. Because it sticks with you, right? Those are the ornamentations I like. So I can relate to you on that. The 80s probably is a good comparison to the Baroque period because it was all about being kind of gaudy and over the top and obnoxious in some ways. If you look at like yeah. uh, Baroque architecture and you look at uh, – so I challenge you, Google, when you get a, a, a second uh, listener, Google Baroque architecture and you will either really enjoy it or you really dislike it. There's like really no in-between. Um, mm-hmm. It's It's pretty gaudy. It's pretty opulent. It's very – Earthy. It's pretty funny since we're talking about trees here. Um, there's a lot of browns and oranges and golds and reds and a lot of returning to these earthen elements. Um, and so, oh, there's a lot of flowers too. Uh, I, when I'm looking at this architecture, there there's a lot of flowers. <laughs> I don't yeah, know what... there really are. Yeah. I mean, I always think when I teach this stuff, I always think of the the colors more probably gold the most because if you look at any like chapels or anything during this time period you're going to see a lot of gold that's usually the first thing i i think of but it when you know when getting ready to teach the lesson you know when we start talking about it i realized there are a lot of flowers there are a ton of flowers everywhere it's it's nutty but in the in that time period, it isn't like they had a bunch of lights and a bunch of modern decorations like we had now. So there was this nature kind of was where they got inspiration for some of these designs. Yeah. And, you know, I would say this about the, the architectural design. Uh, it's pretty beautiful for me, I think, you know, can you love it or hate it. But it's pretty beautiful once you go see it because you won't see a lot of it in America. Because if you look at the years 16 to 1750, this time period, we aren't even a country yet in the United States. Um, so we don't see a lot of this design in our world, but if you go to Europe or whatever, and you start to see some of these old cathedrals, it's pretty, uh, if you don't like it on paper and you see it in person, you'll at least appreciate how intricate and how amazing the craftsmanship is from the people who built or painted or carved all of this stuff. And a lot of it in gold and in stone you know, like not easy stuff necessarily to work with. Yeah, I think I think seeing it in person makes a difference. If you ever get a chance even to go to uh, any any church, maybe in a big city that draws its inspiration, yeah. architectural inspiration from from this time period or from the churches that are in Europe, um, you know, you, you really can be in awe. There's a, um, a cathedral in New York City. It's right down the road from Rockefeller Center, and for the life of me, it's a big one. I just can't think of the name right now. Um, I had, I went to New York City several years back, and I'm not one that's – I don't hate this, I guess. It's just I don't appreciate it till I'm in the midst of it. And or and I walked into this cathedral in New York City, and I, I just couldn't catch my breath. Like, it was so breathtakingly gorgeous. And so, you know, the pictures don't – do it justice. You have to kind of take them at face value. But if you ever get an opportunity to see this in person, um, I, I really recommend you do because I don't know if you can get a full appreciation until you're surrounded by this kind of architecture. Yeah, I know exactly which cathedral you're talking about because it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's huge. 
And uh, I, I think the one thing that I remember about that place is how big it was, you know, and how small it made me feel. I'm a, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm 6'4", you know? And so, like, when I'm around people, I feel big. But when I was in this space, it was all about uh, how insignificant I felt. It was almost overwhelming, you know, how how amazing it was. So Yeah, if, if I find – if I for the life of me, I cannot think of it probably because I'm on the spot right now. But maybe we can link to it in the show notes so that I, I know it won't do it. It won't do it justice, but you'll see what we're talking about because it's really inspired by this kind of thing. Yeah. And so that uh, leads us to contrast. And contrast in the Baroque period is a very important concept. And what I mean by contrast, in case you don't know, is big versus small, loud versus quiet, simple versus ornate, light versus dark, these polar opposites of each other. And these uh, contrasting ideas was important for expression. It was important for people developing how to express themselves and how to speak about their world in a more intricate way than had what than what had come before it. You know, we talked a lot about churches so far. Cathedrals is a, a great place to see this architecture. Because um, despite the Renaissance happening, th- happening, the church still was a pretty influential part, and they really took this to the next level of, like, big versus small, you know, God versus man, uh, simple versus ornate. All this types of stuff was incorporated into the architecture and expressing the divine versus the human, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and like, no pun intended here, subtlety is not the Baroque period forte. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> like, we're not talking about, we'll see this maybe down the road in other, other time periods where, you know, things are subtly added or there's little hidden meanings or kind of Easter eggs to things. That's not what Baroque is about. It's, it's very, oh, here's the one thing. Now here's completely the thing that contrasts <laughs> it. And it goes very in your face. So it's, it's a, uh, a bold era, maybe, maybe bold's the right way to put it, that this is, this is not an era of subtlety. Yep, for sure. Big personalities and big ideas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially Bach, which we'll talk about momentarily, because Bach had a little attitude. <laughs> yeah, I love that. But we'll leave it at that for now, I suppose. <laughs> so Bach is a good transition into the characteristics of Baroque music. So basically everything we talked about the Baroque time period applies to Baroque music. We have ornamentation, which makes the music more interesting, uh, and a lot of contrast. And when we talk about ornamentation in music, uh, and we talk about simplicity versus ornate, when you listen to Baroque music, you'll probably hear the main idea coming through. You'll hear like the the, the meat and potatoes of it all. Like for an example, like um, I could, what's a, a simple kid's tune? Row, row, row your boat. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. So that's like pretty simple. Everybody knows that, right? But you could add like all these other ornamentations on top of it that would make it sound like crazy, but it would still be row, row your boat. Let's see if I can do it in real time here. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. So that's a really bad ornamentation. But the idea, thank you. you. The idea <laughs> is there. Like the main idea 
of the melody is there, but you add all these other interesting things on top of it to make it interesting. It's kind of like there's this YouTube channel. We're going to talk about food because we didn't talk about it last one, I don't think. I was just going to say we hadn't talked about food because in my head I was obviously making a food analogy. But you, by all means, go for it, man. Lay it down. There is a YouTube show. uh, I'll find the channel, and I'll link it, of course, because why not? It's like basically it's three levels of cooks and a food scientist, and their job is to make the same dish, but at their appropriate level. So one that pops off in my head is they did an episode on steak. And so the first lady, she buys the steak and she cooks it and it's acceptable. Like 95% of Americans would eat it and that's how they make it at home. Then you have like the next person who's like watched all the YouTube videos and is a pretty good cook at home. And they like, they make their steak and it's like a step up, you know, like, oh, you want to go to their house for a party. And then there's like the the guy that's like, I've been a grill master for 34 years of my life perfecting how to cook a steak. And here's how you make a steak. And it's like this super crazy, expensive, amazing tasting, decadent. There's a steak there, but like he's infused like 45 other flavors that don't seem like they go together, but they work together in the steak. Uh, And so that's how ornamentation works. You got the basics where... Most people know the melody, and they can hum the melody, and they can get the main idea out of it. Then you have somebody who's just learning stuff out, like, I'm going to add a little turn here, which means flipping two notes back and forth really quick. And then you have the master who is going to incorporate, like, different notes and different techniques and uh, different octaves and all this crazy stuff that they've learned and practiced over and over again to create this new song that you're like, I still hear the main idea. But, like, this is crazy good, and you can just tell they're good. It's all about being flashy, and that's what you're working towards in music in this time period. Yeah, absolutely, which also now I want steak, just to be clear. <laughs> I'm marinating tofu right right now because, you know, I'm trying to be healthy or whatever, and you mentioned steak, so. Uh, <sighs> I'm sorry. Sigh. It's okay. It's okay. I'm sure my tofu will be just as tasty. It's going to be great. Just, no, here's yeah. the problem. Don't, don't think of it as steak. <laughs> think of it as tofu and just appreciate it for what it is. So. All right. That's a better way to think about yeah. it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We had to bring it to food. Hashtag food on music podcast. <laughs> Determine I'm right. going to have new, 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 new hashtags for us every week. So let's talk anyway. about uh, let's talk about <laughs> contrast. So speak, uh, you know, right. steak versus tofu. That's pretty contrasting, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you might have a preference toward one or the other. I personally like both. But sometimes you want the tofu and sometimes you want the steak, right? So we have, you know, with 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 Baroque music, we, we kind of talked about this a few minutes ago where we have this giant contrast that nothing is subtle. We swing from one side of the pendulum to the other. I say that to my class a lot, that a lot of these music eras is a pendulum swinging. We get to one side of the pendulum, then it has to swing back because you know, we, we want to try something totally different. Well, Baroque kind of does this in and of itself, okay? So we get to one point and just swing to the other. So when, we, when we're talking about contrast in the Baroque era, we often talk about concertos, right? So when you're talking about a concerto, you have a soloist with an orchestra. These are still pretty popular today, really. Like, this is one of those things that have kind of stretched in our time. And you've got some big concertos. You've got some small concertos. Right. Like you, they're not always the same. Yeah. And the concerto in it, in of itself is the idea of contrast. You have one person 
versus a group of people. And so there's a very distinct difference. And usually the soloist is going to be exceptionally good. So again, more contrast. And like Ms. Chuck said, there's concerto competitions all the way to today. Terrorist dynamics, T-E-R-R-A-C-E-D, terrorist, not terrorist, because it can sound kind of confusing sometimes. Yeah, but it might feel it's not like that. <laughs> it might feel like your senses are being attacked because it doesn't have any subtlety to it. It's all about if it's loud, it's loud. And then if you want to be quiet, you immediately get quiet. There's no gradual change. There's no like falling down the hill slowly. You fall off the cliff and you're quiet. And if you want to be loud, you jump right back up to loud. So I, I sometimes think of this as getting trolled. <laughs> this is a musical troll a little bit in the sense that especially if you're going from loud or soft to loud you remember this is a, a contrast here so it's not like you're going to gradually get there you might be sitting listening to a piece of music and everything's going fine then wham here come these loud dynamics and so some and sometimes you might be listening to loud and it gets really soft all at once so i I always kind of think of it as the volume equivalent of trolling because one way or another you you get shocked. You weren't you aren't necessarily ready for it. Yep. And this happens a lot in this time period. There are three just terms I want to cover that are important to this. Well, four. I'm going to cover four things real quick in this time period. Basso continuo, which is the accompaniment uh so the person that supports the soloist in music. Uh, oh, tell me what you wrote here about modern music for the basso continuo. Here's the idea: the, the think when you think of basso continuo, think of the word accompaniment. Okay, this is the backup. Um, if we're talking about it being in modern music, think of it like the bass and the rhythm guitars that are backing up the lead guitar. So, like if you're into pop music or rock music, something like that, the basso continuo of this of that would be your bass and your rhythm guitar backing up that lead guitar. That's kind of the modern equivalent. Yeah, that's a great one. You can see kind of the style if you look at a lead sheet where you have the main melody, the most important part you want to hear, and then there's some chord charts that go behind it, and you can kind of make up your own uh, parts to it. That's kind of how Basso Continuo was written out. It was just a note and then a couple of numbers. Then we have uh, Stile Antico and Stile... I think I'm saying these right. Stile moderno. Stile yeah. antico was old style or antique style where music was more important than the words. Well, people wanted to express themselves through their poetry and through their words. So we have this new style called uh, stile moderno, which is the words were more important than the music. And where we see this shift happen is by a composer named Monteverdi. And he writes this opera called Orfeo. And Orfeo is, again, about contrast. It's about uh, the goodness of music and the purity of heart versus the uh, deception and conniving and depths of the underworld and trying to combine those two things and happiness and loss. It's a great tale. You should look it up. And Orpheus is very important in the world of music for Greek mythology. But he bridges these two gaps because this opera, 1602 it's written, is the first introduction we have to like this real big style of vocal music where these words are so important because the words are telling the story that Monteverdi is trying to convey. So if you can't hear the words, 
then it doesn't really matter. You know, the, the words have to be more important than the music. The music is supporting the words. And this is kind of a shift that we're starting to see. And not just uh, some words, because we had the madrigal from the Renaissance, but that was like six people singing different parts in different languages, you know? <laughs> like this That's is right. all focused directly on to the one singer right? the, or the one performer. Again, a contrast from what we saw in the previous time period, right? right? We had we had some of these polyphonic ideas and stuff. And now here comes that pendulum. I like the word pendulum. I think I just like saying it. But anyway, it swings back. Now we've got this focus on the one. So again, and it's it's very interesting that you know we're we're shifting again. Yep. Absolutely. Hey, I think we should save I, I I've been thinking about this. We're going to do this live on air, which is not going to be live for you. Uh I want to yeah. I want to give a little teaser for Bach, just like what, what he's known for here. And I think we should do a whole episode on Johann Sebastian Bach. So, Oh, so what you're saying is we'll be Bach with Bach? <laughs> well, that's, Come the on. The, that's the end of the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of the podcast forever if I keep making jokes like that. No one's going to want to listen anymore. That was, that was very good. I'm really impressed with that. So I, I'm going to do – I'll do a quick Thank overview you. of Bach real quick. He is important for the fugue. I mean, he's important for a lot of things, but he was an amazing fugue writer. And a fugue is basically a round, a fancy word for a round, but a lot more complicated. <laughs> that's that's my fugue yeah. answer. Uh, that's that's about right. You might also hear the word counterpoint float, floating around oh, yeah, when absolutely. you hear that word. I'll, I'll link a, a nice video that I'm, I think we've both used in our class that gives a visual representation of the fugue. But the fugue is the main idea that gets repeated over and over again, starting at a different interval, essentially is what, what you can uh, leave it at for now until you hear a Bach piece. Uh, his influence on music is, is um, it can't go without saying, he's one of the three biggest composers of all time, most influential composers of all time. Um and his and death. most people have heard of him, yeah. right? Like he's, yeah. it, I mean, it, most people, even if you don't know much about music and you, you think of old music, uh, most people are going to say this name yeah. uh, with probably two others, but Bach being one of the three, for sure. He's not a mystery at all. No, yeah. he's not. And he has quite a lineage. Yes. And that's why <laughs> it, this name keeps creeping up. Sometimes you have to specify well, which Bach are you referring to? That's right. Johan, Johan Sebastian, Sebastian, I don't know how to say it, but we'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. He was so influential. I mentioned this earlier, but his death marked the end of the Baroque period, right? You can't be any more influential than having the, the moment that your life ends is the end of an era. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, not many people share that distinction. I'm sure when I pass away, there will not be the, the changing of an era, you know, <laughs> so yeah, I, I can't even imagine that the paperwork alone, you'd have to fill out <laughs> to have a change of era when <laughs> you die. <laughs> but you're right, you can't overstate his importance. If a if a musical period is ending based on your death, you must have been pretty important in the in the whole era. That's right. So I think we'll leave. I think we'll leave Bach at that, and then I think next week we'll come back and we'll cover him because I think he is so important that uh, I think it'd be fun to do a full episode on just who that person is. Bach, Bach is nothing to Bach at. I mean, you know, wow, nothing 
Radio silence. Okay, so <laughs> I was reaching too far. I knew it. Like I knew when I said it. You, I knew. I knew it was too. You flew too, too close to the sun. Is what happened. I did. I did. And I often do, ladies and gentlemen. So on that note, I will go ahead and wrap us up because I went too far, and it's I only have myself to blame. So hey, if you're actually still listening to us, even though I've made all of these terrible puns, you can listen and subscribe to this podcast wherever you want. Uh, it is on all of the places, all of the time. You can go through those and look. If you're looking to speak out to us and let us know some feedback or just want to tell us to knock it off with the puns, you can find us at OHVA Music on Twitter. And, of course, if you're in our classes, we all have our information in there. You can email us. You can call us. Uh, some of us text, probably, too. You can talk to us in a live session. You know. You know the deal, OHVA kids. You know what's going on. And, of course, just to listen to us directly from the website, you want to go to anchor.fm forward slash OHVA music. And I think instead of me making any more puns, I will just leave it as have a good one, get your homework in, make sure you're ready for quarter one, and we will see you next time. Bye. Goodbye.